Hello. Hello, Mr. Dennis. Hello, Mr. Clive. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. And yourself? Yeah, not not bad. Not bad. I'm glad that the weather's got a bit more manageable after that freak heat wave. So I'm, I'm pretty good, thanks. Yeah. Yes, I think we're due, though, for a St. Luke's summer to build to the beginning of October. Because looking at the weather, it, it goes up to like 23, 25 next week. Mm. Anyway, mm. That's, that's weather in the UK, <laughs> which is <laughs> notoriously unpredictable, which is why it's a subject of continual conversation amongst British people. You can tell someone's British yeah, if yeah. they talk about the weather. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Queen's Speech episode 62, which I have entitled mm. The Normies Wake Up. Now, for those of you who don't know, a normie describes basically a sort of mainstream person, what we might call a normal person, someone who isn't chronically online, like me and Dennis, someone who doesn't have mm. some novel gender identity, who doesn't think too much about politics, who generally sort of goes along with mainstream opinion. But they have been agitated recently. What's agitated mm. the normies, do you think, Mr. Dennis? I can think of two big examples. We've had um, a massive great march in Canada, which broadly speaking is protesting the teaching of gender identity ideology in schools. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it does seem big, that. And then we've had a very interesting survey of British attitudes, which show a remarkable drop in support for, again, gender identity ideology, broadly speaking. So mm -hmm. I think normies, in some senses, just means sane people, doesn't it? Because sometimes <laughs> when I when I explain gender to people who are, don't have their heads stuck in this debate, they do look at me like I'm absolutely mad. You mm. know? Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. When I yeah. say, you know, the head of Stonewall called lesbians sexual racists, they're like, are you serious? Did that actually happen? It's like, yes, it, it did. did. It really did. happened. And if you so, believe yeah. sex is binary and immutable, you're akin to an anti-Semite. Yeah, another one of her greatest hits. Another yeah. one of her <laughs> greatest hits. So we're going to be talking about those two things today. Mm. We're going to start with the Million March for Children in Canada. Now, the Million March for Children was this huge march, and it took place mm. over several sites in Canada. So it wasn't just in Toronto or Vancouver. It was all over the place, across every province. And what it mm. was, was a march against, as you said, Dennis, the teaching of gender mm. ideology in schools, and also some of the sex education that Canadian children have been exposed to. This was organised mm. by among others, someone called Scott Spidel, who was a candidate in Nova Scotia for the People's Party of Canada. So I looked up the People's Party of Canada, and there's a Wikipedia article about it, which says it's a right-wing populist federal political party in Canada, uh, formed in 2018 by someone called Maxime Bernier, who resigned from the Conservative Party of Canada. It's a socially conservative party. It's um, a populist party, and it latched onto this issue of uh, sex education and gender ideology in schools. And they had an enormous response to the calls for parents to march against this in Canada. I don't know quite whether they managed to get a million people marching, but certainly the video that I saw, it was a fairly big turnout. I mean, the, the hmm. Toronto march looked pretty huge. So did the Vancouver march. Smaller marches in smaller cities. Um, all of them, of course, were met with counter-protesters from the LGBTQIA plus rights brigade. It was responded to by Justin Trudeau in a tweet yeah. or a post, we should call it now, on X, the social media platform formerly known as Twitter. He said uh, this, Let me make one thing very clear. Transphobia, homophobia and biphobia have no place in this, con in this country. We strongly <laughs> condemn this hate and its manifestations, and we stand united in support of... <laughs> 2S LGBTQI plus Canadians across the country, you are valid and you are valued. 
Oh my God. <laughs> I was joking the other day that, you know, I'm I'm a pretty gay, gay guy. I'm about as homosexual as they come. But if there's one thing that could make me feel homophobic, it's Justin bloody Trudeau, you know. I know, just, honestly. He's, he's so irritating. Like, where do you start with that tweet? Um <laughs> In the first place, lol at biphobia, like <laughs> like someone someone was taking the mick out of this, saying, Justin's right, all the restaurants in Canada have signs saying no bisexuals. <laughs> I know, like, I know. What are you talking about? Are there, are, there really, are there really people out there who say, I'm perfectly fine with straight people and gay people that say bisexuals I hate? You know? <laughs> well, up, it's... <laughs> It's used as another way to to dunk on gay men, basically, talking about bi-erasure and bi-people being uh, characterised as greedy and, and indecisive right. and unable to take a side and blah, blah, blah. There doesn't seem to have been any um, structural discrimination against bisexual people, except, of course, when yeah. they're in same-sex relationships or when they're perceived just, to be same-sex attractive. Yeah. It's just such a weird thing for him to mention. Like, no one on the protest is holding a sign saying, down with those bisexuals. <laughs> I know, just, I What know. are you talking about, Justin? But um, more seriously, um, what a joke of a response. Does just mm. Justin Trudeau seriously believe that overnight... Um, a group of mainly left-wing women, and and now now I think families more generally uh, just became hateful overnight. There's like a sudden rise; they all turned to the dark side overnight. So yeah. this is an infantile response. It completely fails to engage with the fact that you know whoever organ whatever party was behind organizing this you've only got to look at the footage to see in the main it's it's a lot of just normal everyday canadians there was a, a father interviewed i think i think he's from indian heritage he was very very erudite and persuasive and genuinely and rightly in my view concerned about the dross that they are spoon feeding canadian children i know Several gay people who went on these marches, ever from Twitter, who calls herself Canada's preeminent lesbian, which I've always enjoyed. <laughs> um, she she was on the march with her girlfriend. My mate Scott was on a march. Um, loads, of, loads of gay people are sick of this as well. So for him to just go, oh, the, these people just woke up this morning feeling hateful. It's like, shut up, Justin. What you are demonstrating there is that you are a member of an elite and that you are now entirely disconnected from people to the point that you won't even respond to them honestly. You won't even say, this was a march about the curriculum. Actually, we think we have the correct curriculum for this reason, this reason, this reason. You know, that would be an honest debate. That would be engaging in discourse and engaging with the concerns normal Canadians have. No, it has to be straight out the Stonewall playbook. Oh, you're all just hateful. And of course, as I, as I, often say, whenever you see the word hate from these scions of the new religion, just mentally insert the word sin, right? Because that's what they mean. What they mean yes. is that you're sinful, your beliefs are sinful, you're a bad person. And, you know, that's dangerous, obviously, because this is a, that's a theocratic response. That's a fundamentalist response to say anything outside your belief system is hateful. It's not very far away from saying someone's an infidel, you know. <laughs> um, and in the in the second place, it's just absolutely infantile, I think, to respond in this fashion. Um, I've got a quote tweet from that tweet you just read out, Justin Trudeau. Now, this is from Pierre Poly... Oh, Polyvira, oh, sorry to any French speakers. Um, I'm not. I'm going to screw that name up. But anyway, he's the leader of the Cana uh, Canada's Conservative Party, and he says mm -hmm. Justin Trudeau always divides to distract from all he has broken. This time, <clears throat> he is demonising concerned parents. So far, so good. Uh, parents should be the final authority on the values and lessons that are taught to children. Agree with that. Trudeau should butt out and let parents raise their kids. Now, that's quite a big shift because, as I understand it from Canadian mates, Pierre and his party have sort of gone into perder on the gender issue and they're quite scared to touch it. But this march has now forced the leader of the Conservative Party to say that. And he is acknowledging the, the concerns and he is acknowledging this rather more important point to my mind about 
the intercession of the state as supplanting the parents. I was um, thinking of that this week when I saw bug-eyed, crazy Maggie Chapman in the Scottish Parliament talking about, oh God, yes, you know, teachers being able to socially transition children. And I was just struck by the fact that you know, in a family court, if if the state wants to take away the right of the parents to parent their children under the children act the state in the form of the local authority um, with an independent guardian ad litem often present in such hearings has to satisfy the court that the child is at uh, risk or serious uh, a serious risk of, of serious harm sorry i think it's risk of serious harm is the is the precise wording but in any event that's quite a high test right for the state to step in and become parent and i do think pierre there is correct to identify that as an issue here. This is about the state becoming parents. And seems to me Canadian parents have had enough of it, Clive. Well, yes. And and more than anything, Justin Trudeau's tweet struck me as being completely uh, politically inept. Because mm. here you are faced with hundreds of thousands of your citizens protesting against something, and you haven't mm. engaged with it at all. You've just smeared them all as transphobes, yeah. biphobes, and homophobes. And to my mind, that's not the action of someone who is a prime minister of a country. Mm. It, it should be about either trying to address their concerns or trying to quell their anger, I would have thought. But no, it seems mm. that uh, he he finds two SLGBTQI plus Canadians valid, and they should be valued. But valid. Uh, <laughs> I know. I hate that word so much. Like parking is valid, a check is valid, your yes. credit card details are valid, Mister Trudeau. I suspect I speak for a lot of Canadian gay men and lesbians when I say we really do not care whether you think we're valid or not, nor no. do we require you to tell us that we are. We are not bloody zoo animals, mate. I, mean, God. I know, I know. But apparently people who are invalid and not valued are these concerned parents. Yeah. I, I think it's really um, insulting, frankly. It is. It is. And as you say, it's politically inept, isn't it? Because who sat him down in a room and said, Prime Minister, I think the best strategy in response to this mass protest against this ideology that you've uncritically endorsed is for you to go out and just insult voters. <laughs> yes, <laughs> hundreds, of thousands, hundreds of thousands of voters. And of yeah. course, there's a, there's a general election in Canada in, I think, 2025, when his right, position yeah. as PM could well be at risk. You're not really doing a good job, frankly. I mean, I looked yeah. at, I, I watched a video with uh, Scott Spidel, founder and co-organizer of the Million March, and um, their concerns are basically reflected by, you know, organizations like Gays Against Groomers and what have you. You know, Drag Queen Story mm. Hour, which I think is mm. too much is made of, but we've already had that discussion. Um, but also mm. certain literature in schools. Uh, and he went to give yeah. some examples of um, books that are marketed to children, which include yeah. some, to my mind, inappropriate imagery and information. There's one book I quote... I wholeheartedly agree with you, may I say, having seen some of the examples. I just It's extraordinary. Um, and it's not just in Canada, but extraordinary, the sort of stuff they are putting in front of kids. And I, you know, and that's queer theory in action, isn't it? You know, mm, it's mm. really concerning. And this is something that's also been talked about in the US as well. I saw a clip of a um, some sort of pastor who was talking right. at uh, the school board, and he was uh, quoting from a book called It's Perfectly Normal. And the chair of the board was trying to shut him down, trying to mm. stop him um, reading this out, presumably because he thought that the stuff he was saying was offensive. But this book is marketed for children aged 10 and up. There was another book called Gender Queer, which is intended for, for, for young people aged 16 and up. But this is also appearing yeah. in school libraries. And it's got some, frankly, 
pornographic material in it um, yeah. about uh, this person who's the subject of the book getting their uh, penis fellated, um, right. talking about a strap-on and how they can't wait to slide it into God's somebody. Sake. and. Really? But if this, you know, okay, it's for 16 and up, all right? I, I understand yeah. that that's fine, and maybe maybe young people 16 and up do need to have this information. But if this is in school libraries, that means it's available to much younger uh, people, much younger children. So they are being yeah. indirectly exposed to this. And you're not telling me that a book that has pornographic descriptions of sexual activity isn't going to be a hot ticket item in that library for giggling 15-year-olds, exactly. you know? Exactly. You know, I mean, I'm old enough to remember back when schools didn't have pornography in them. And, you know, the first thing we'd do if we got like a dictionary or something would be look up all the rude words. It's like these people are such naive utopians. They have no idea how the real world works. And the idea that a teenage boy is going to behave in a, a fashion, you know, that, that uh, like and not be horny. I mean, have these guys ever met a teenage boy or been one? It's just, well, you have to ask. You have to ask, don't you? Um, I've said this before. Do pe are people really not aware of quite how horny teenage boys get once the testosterone hits? You know, they'll hump anything, their pillow, a lamppost, a tree. Yeah because they are yeah. driven by their hormones yeah. to be this randy. Yeah. And now right. you're saying that if they just say they're a girl, they can go into toilets, changing rooms with other girls. They can go in dormitories with them when they go on sleepaway visits elsewhere. It shows a complete absence hmm. of any thought, frankly. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because that that um, fissure between people who understand the real world and these, as I say, naive utopians, maybe that's charitable, actually. Maybe there's something darker here. But at, at best, I'll give them that, that they simply don't know how the world works. That's very much the dichotomy at play in this march, isn't it? Because you've got parents who... And we've got to remember, these are Canadians, right? Canada is not... Is not France, right? You don't you don't hear yeah. about riots in Canada, right? You don't hear about, you know, Canadians generally speaking are extremely law abiding. They don't get into, you know, heated political sort of discussions just for the hell of it. They they just don't have that culture. And and I find with most Canadians that I meet, it's like when you listen to Artie Morty chats, you know, there's he has a very, very sort of logical, calm way of describing things. And ever is the same. It's you know, I think as a political culture, the idea that Trudeau has managed to make these people, you know, whip them up into a state of fury at what he's doing because they are out on the streets saying, I think, uncontroversial things like maybe don't fill school libraries full of pornography given mm. what teenagers are like. And also maybe, oh, heaven forbid, you know, maybe we could just allow them to be kids rather than imposing all this nonsense on them and telling them they have gender identities. I, I do think that is one of the problems in this debate that often gets missed, partly because of the failure of our children's commissioners and child protection advocacy services globally. This debate badly needs someone to say, you are giving children an extra problem here. They do not need it, right? Adolescence yes. is difficult enough. And the pressure you are putting on these kids, the mental pressure you are putting on them, and in some cases, the, you know, the medical pressure. This is, this is a, I'm sorry, this is a crime against humanity to treat children like this and therefore good on these parents it seems to me that you know the sleeping giant has woken up i don't think this will be the last march and i thought that the counter protests i don't know if you saw much of them clive i thought they looked pretty anemic in response with their silly signs protect trans kids which means let us carry out surgical 
gay conversion therapy on the autistic kids, the kids that will grow up to be gay, the looked after kids. Um, they just seemed to me to be bourgeois, lost. And I have to say, I did think a lot of them seemed to me to be heterosexual, waving their rainbow flags, you know. Yes. It was also a remarkably undiverse crowd in comparison to the million That's mark. right which seem to unite people of all colours, creeds and sexualities. Whereas mm. the counter-protest struck me, as it often does, as being composed of rather bourgeois white people. Mm. Funny mm. that, isn't it? Very it's funny. funny. That. It's almost like, almost like the ideology behind it is a sort of bourgeois white luxury belief for the bored and the boring and students who like wearing balaclavas because they like scaring women that's what they're really doing that's why they do that i saw some footage as well online of a man who i think breached the lines of the counter-protest or somehow found himself among the counter-protesters he may have gone there as a deliberate provocation but they were manhandling yeah. him out of the way uh, there were about six mm. of these weedy Antifa types with black balaclavas and masks on, sort of trying to mm. hustle him out of their protest. And uh, they eventually sort of pushed him out. And I saw the police just standing there <laughs> doing nothing while this was going on. Unbelievable. Not the first time that we've seen the Canadian police utterly fail. I remember, do you remember that incident with Billboard Chris and the Vancouver police? You know, yes, I do, yeah. Absolutely failed to protect him. Um, I don't know if that was repeated across the country, though. My impression was that some police forces dealt with it extremely well, in fact. And it, it is, I can tell you, having prosecuted cases from and defended from this sort of stuff. That This stuff is difficult to police. That's a big operation. So a bit of a mixed picture. Um, perhaps, it, it, I don't um, know, perhaps the world is waking up. What well, do you think? It, it, just coming back to your point about the police, though, it didn't seem to go so well for Megan Murphy, who talked That's about yep, her, exp yeah. her experience of the march in Victoria, British Columbia, um, it seems that despite organisers liaising with the police, they didn't keep the counter-protesters separated from the crowd and speakers. According to her, this is from an article she put on her substack, she says, quote, not only allowed protesters to access the cordoned off area reserved for the rally, but allowed them to come right up to the front. And she yeah. says, what I have come to expect happened exactly as expected, as the protesters pushed closer yeah. and closer, screaming, pushing and breaking past the line, dividing the stage from those gathered at the legislature with clear intent to attack those speaking. The police stood by, yeah. allowing the activists to do as they liked, which predictably escalated into violence, at which point they shut down the entire event. A Canadian media's report on this, from what I can gather, I mean, I did a quick trawl um, of the uh, Canadian media. They all seem to be signed up to the idea that this was an anti-LGBTQ plus march. Oh, yeah, yeah, and that it was hate. Explain, explain the gay men and lesbians on the march then. Well, Quislings, obviously. Um, oh, right, okay. Yeah. But they did mention that there were a couple of arrests, but they didn't say which side the arrests were made on, whether it was mm. the million marchers or whether it was the counter-protesters who ended up being arrested. But they gave an impression that violence occurred as a result of this march, which, to my yeah. mind, is clearly biased reporting, if you like. It's what they don't say as much as That's what they right. do say, which gives the impression... Yeah. You know? I'm afraid there's been a fair, fair bit of that. There was a disgraceful article by a, a newspaper. I think it's called The Globe and the Mail or The Globe Mail, something like that. And it, and it was, you know, it was really horrible. It was like, these, these are anti-gay protesters, la, 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 for God's sake. They, they are plainly not. But a Canadian friend said to me, actually, that's one of the worst and most captured uh, newspapers. But I do get the impression that the media environment across Canada, as you get in so many places, unfortunately, is is relatively captured, with the exception of outliers like Rebel News and things like that. 
Yes, and that's the problem, isn't it? I mean, people will characterise this as a far-right march. And when it comes to the People's Party of Canada, there may be, may just be some justification in saying that they are, I wouldn't describe them as far right, but they're certainly the populist right. But the thing is, when yeah, the left, I mean, when the left wing, when the left won't talk to you even, who are you supposed to yeah. go to? Who do you talk to yeah. about this? You know, like we were saying before we started recording, Julie Bindle writes for The Telegraph because The Guardian won't have her anymore. Same as Suzanne Moore, who, who has the distinction of being chased out of The Guardian, or Hadley Freeman, who's now at The Times, because mm. not, not just that they won't publish, um, they will actively allow bullying campaigns to chase women out, who, who dare to step out of line on this. And you yeah. know, they always come up with this criticism of, oh, you're all right-wing, far-right. <laughs> really? We're not the ones in balaclavas demanding speech control. Right, we're not the yeah. ones engaged in a eugenics program directed against autistic kids, kids that are going to grow up to be gay, etc. You know, we, we are not the ones demanding ideological compliance um, ac across every sector of the states. Uh, this is such a hollow criticism. It's like it cannot credibly be said that every person who went on that march was a member of this particular political party. Right. Okay. So I think that no. criticism fails at a start. And secondly, you know, a lot of the criticism of gender comes from sort of fairly wet lefties like me. And um, historically, and this has also been the case in the Canada, it comes from sort of classic middle aged women who are lifelong Labour voters. Like, no one can tell me, I don't know, Helen Stadeland or Dr. Uh, Jane Claire Jones are right-wing. You can't say Kath Stark is right-wing. You can't say, I mean, you can't say Julie Mandel's right-wing. So this, and also, I just find it, it's, it's infantile anyway, isn't it? There are, there are people who belong to right-wing parties um, who have to share views on gender. I don't know, you know, like, I don't know, Miriam Cates would be an example in our country. And so what? So what? This is bigger than left and right. Well, yes. And I don't think those right and left divisions are very useful anymore anyway. They don't adequately describe people's political positions anymore. They're, they're outdated, frankly, in my view. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Yeah. And also, what's being, what's being described as right-wing about this march is interesting. This idea of protecting trans children. The marchers were marching for a an approach to social transition that pretty much is part of NHS guidance now. This week, <laughs> the NHS came yeah. out um, with guidance for schools about social transitioning in schools in um, anticipation of the government's wider guidelines about transgender pupils in schools. And it basically said that schools should not allow gender questioning children to socially transition without their parents' involvement. This was part of NHS training and guidance on this issue. It's part of a new online module published by NHS England. So it's kind of like the first national guidance on how to support people with, uh, support children rather, with gender distress in education settings, it restates the NHS's position as set out by the CAS review on gender identity services that so social transition is an active intervention rather than a neutral mm. act. And it also takes note of the fact that there are lots of unanswered questions from research in relation to the benefits and potential consequences of social transitioning in terms of uh, children's mental health and well-being. There's a danger that social transition embeds in a trans identity which if it wasn't encouraged would allow the person yeah. to develop their own ideas about themselves rather than have them kind of validated by uh, yeah. social transition so this is not an uncontroversial position in this country well i mean it is a controversial in terms of the gender mob but then everything and anything, including the mildest <laughs> criticism of their ideology, <laughs> is far right, hateful, etc., right. etc. Yeah, yeah. 
So we it, have... it's a constant theme, isn't it? We saw that with Trudeau a few moments ago, right? Anything less than complete capitulation is totally hateful. Um, may I just briefly say on the NHS, and I suspect we'll return to this in a in perhaps a future episode. There was a story this week which I ought to mention that indicated some of the regional hubs that are to replace the Tavistock, unfortunately, have got into bed with the ghouls that gendered intelligence. I know Barry, I think, may have done a video about this or already. There were obviously very marked concerns about that outfit. Um, it's not quite on, on subject, but uh, I just mentioned that because I think we ought to return to that at some point. Well, um, I looked into that briefly. Yeah. And these, okay. are not, these are not regional hubs for children and young people. As far as I'm aware, oh, okay. there, there will still only be two hubs for the new gender identity right. service, one in the north and one in London. Um, these are right. these are services for adults, so oh, okay, okay, okay. they they may include okay. some children who some young people rather who transition from uh, children's services into adult services. So it will be uh, eighteen up generally. So okay. it's a it's a different issue. It doesn't come under the auspices of the CAS review. Um, there there was mention made, if I recall correctly, in the CAS review about transfer of children to adult services at around the age of 17 18 um but this yeah. is not this is not um them acting against the cast review because it's not part of the cast review okay. i think sometimes people go off on one about something that isn't actually directly related to children and young people's services it's indirectly yeah. tangentially related because some of those children will graduate into those services um but uh, right. okay, you know, Cass had a very limited brief, which was to look at the the care of children, gender identity services for children, as represented by the gender identity service at the Tavistock, and and to look at what went wrong there to make recommendations for it not to happen again. When it comes to yeah. adults, we may well see some outcomes from cases that are being brought about the approach to gender identity for adults. But that's a discussion for another day. So okay. yeah, let's not let's yeah, not get, get ahead of ourselves on that one. Yeah, um, fair enough. Fair yeah, enough. To be honest with you, uh, Dennis, my concern is basically with children who are being damaged. Yeah. Yes, adults are being damaged. I understand that. Yeah, and I'm mm. very concerned about that. But we have to think about priorities. We can't tackle all of this at once. Like you say, it's a multi-headed hydra and you can only chop off mm. one head at a time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, two grow back, of course. <laughs> grow back. You have to, you have to plunge the, the sword into the heart of it. And I think that a lot of the issues and problems with gender that we're seeing, it starts with children and allowing I this sort right. of stuff to invade education. So, well, yeah. the Million March, um, it doesn't look like it's going to have had any effect on the political class in Canada. Uh, certainly not the Prime Minister who's in charge. Um, certainly not his party. But we can hope that the reverberations from it may cause wider discussions. And it would be lovely to think that at some point Justin Trudeau has to seriously engage uh, with this conversation that would be nice wouldn't it it That'd would be nice because nice. at the moment he just sort of drifts around he reminds me a bit of a thunderbird puppet you know because he never he never sits properly and he doesn't walk properly and he's no. just he's got this sort of air of unreality to him um it would be nice if he engaged in reality um speaking of the the heart of the hydra um i, I wonder if we should move to our next topic um which is uh, pronouncements from some of our favorite people at the heart of all this madness at, Sto at stonewall or formerly of stonewall in the form of sexual racist nancy ratio and um her reaction to that survey this week yes the uh, british social attitude survey issued its 2023 report this week and mm. um it showed some very interesting results, um, apart from showing that uh, women still do the majority of the housework and that people mm. are fairly uh, okay with uh, marriage equality. For the purposes of this podcast, it had some very interesting results. 
In mm. 2019, which was the last time they reported, 82% of uh, survey respondents said they weren't prejudiced at all towards trans people. Now that figure has gone down to 64%. In 29, wow. yes, in 2019, 53% of people thought trans people should be able to change their birth certificate. Now just 30% agree with that. And Nancy <sighs> Kelly of all people, mm. posted on X about this, didn't she? Do you have the tweet in question to hand? I'm afraid, afraid that I do. And um, I'm pleased to say that as of the time of recording, which is Saturday morning, the tweet has 2.1 million views. Wow. Um, it has 1,600 um, retweets. Uh, there are no comments, of course, because Nancy always closes comments. Yes. It has 2.5 thousand likes um mm -hmm. and it has some absolutely delicious quote tweets i don't know how many of them there are but it's worth looking at the quote tweets mm. nancy says this she says i'm deeply saddened to see today's british social attitude survey shows such a marked decline in positive attitudes to trans people she repeats the figures that you've just mentioned um she then blames this in her third tweet in the thread on the following she says <clears throat> this is the press driven moral panic bearing fruit. Years of relentless toxic coverage of political manipulation is making us less tolerant and less supportive of marginalized community. While other social attitudes continue their long post-war liberalization, trans people are experiencing the opposite, a hardening of attitudes and a lack of openness. They are demonized in the press by many in public life and feel increasingly unsafe and unwelcome. She then, in a remarkable show of chutzpah, says, and honestly, Shame on every institution and individual that has driven this and is profiting from it. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Can't believe she put that last one. Well, <laughs> I mean, as I commented at the time, you in Stonewall have had this vice-like grip around institutions for nearly a decade. And this is the result of you failing yeah. to make the case. James Dreyfus um, summed it up nicely, to my view. He said, you effed this up, Kelly. You, Hunt, Stonewall, Pride, Glad, etc. You enabled and encouraged yeah. this. You smeared lesbians as sexual racists. We've been yeah. warning you for years. You don't get to spin this around and cry. But what happened? You did. Yeah. And exactly. So deeply unaware, isn't it, for a woman at the helm of making the most extraordinary demands of the state and the private sector and calling lesbians sexual racists, and, which we laugh about. But, you know, I've, re I've read some pretty awful threads this week from lesbians about how that actually makes you feel if that's directed at you from the head of an organization that's supposed to represent you and i think i think we should take that seriously the damage that this bloody awful organization and debate has done to our community and to lesbians in particular um i think is often underestimated um but how remarkable to have presided over all of that and have no self-reflection no accepting of responsibility at all um to try to spin it as oh the press and politicians as if the british public are just stupid i mean it's, it, it really reminds me of the, some of the brexit stuff to be honest you know people are being manipulated people are too stupid to think for themselves um, absolute elitist contempt there for ordinary people and she did a further thread where she was moaning about the fact that the question asks you know are you more prejudiced and she rather missed the point with that because if we look at this survey she is correct to say it asks about prejudice now that is as professor alice sullivan a doyen of statistics at university college london pointed out an alarmingly biased and rigged question, right? Because yes. who wants to fill in a survey and say, I'm prejudiced, even if you are, right? Yeah. It's not a question people would make, but people have seen through this. And even on a rigged st survey, Stonewall completely fail. I mean, it's a real Ozymandias moment. You know, look upon my works, ye mighty, and despair. You couldn't even win 
a rigged survey. That is quite extraordinary in my view. And it's very interesting to me that the gaps get bigger and bigger if you look at specific policies. So the birth certificate one is interesting. You know, that massive, massive drop, once you give people a specific policy, um, they'll, they'll come out and say, no, I I'm not having it. Um, and again, it's very similar to Trudeau, isn't it? Because there is no concession at all, never is with this lot, that anyone has any legitimate concerns. Uh, Trudeau blames hate. Nancy's sort of doing the same here. She's she's saying, you know, well, politicians and press just, you know, she calls it moral panic. But again, what she means is that people are just becoming hateful. Complete failure. And, you know, that in some ways seems to me signing your own death warrant because what Stonewall put out a very similar tweet about this. But what that yeah. is saying is we refuse to listen, we refuse to be self-critical, we refuse to consider the possibility we might have got this wrong, we refuse to consider the possibility that people have genuine and legitimate concerns. And if they carry on down that path and they close their ears to discourse, well, bad ideas not exposed to discourse only get worse. And those surveys will get worse and worse, is my view. But I don't know, Clive, I'm bloody good on the British public is what I thought. Well, I tend to agree, actually. I think that uh, we can find where some of this disapproval of trans people and so-called trans rights comes from. If we just look at a mm. few examples of things that turned up in my timeline this week. Um, the GMC, the General Medical Council, issuing an internal policy on maternity leave where they didn't mention mothers or women at all. Oh, and another goodness. internal policy document on menopause where the word woman wasn't used once. It was all per people with menopause, people who, uh, the parent, etc., and so on. Um, we also saw a cancer charity going full-on genderoid. Oh, yeah. The, Ma the Mari Keating Foundation. This was founded in honor of a woman called Mari Keating who died from metastases two years after undergoing a double mastectomy for breast cancer. They right. um, put out a post on X about um, Denise's story. Oh, yeah. Which was about promoting prostate cancer screening amongst men. Yeah. So you can probably tell where this is going. Denise, is, this is from the story on the website. It says, quote, Denise is no ordinary woman. She has a trans history. What that means is that when she was born, doctors thought she was male. After many years of depression and struggling, Denise began her social and medical transition in her late 30s and made her legal transition when the Gender Recognition Act came into law in Ireland in 2015 and completed mm. her medical transition a few years later. This is the uh, the mad bit, if you ask me. Having been assigned male at birth, and despite surgery to correct that error... <laughs> error? <laughs> what? I know. Error? What, the error The error of birth? What are you talking about? Well, the, Or did the doctor screw it up? I, I, ah, Who knows? Who mad. knows? But anyway, despite that surgery to correct the error... Denise has yeah. a prostate, so the error hasn't been right. fully the error hasn't been fully corrected because Denise's <laughs> prostate remains intact. And then it went yeah. on to say about how you know Denise has to go and get uh, regular uh, prostate-specific antigen testing and what have you. Quite why they chose to put a trans woman at the front of this campaign about getting men to screen uh, to get prostate screening. Is beyond me. Yeah, it's it's, just, it's also really you know I laugh about it, but it's actually quite serious and dangerous. This right because in the first place, men um, as a sex class are terrible. We're terrible at going to doctors. We're terrible for saying, "Oh, it'll fix itself. Oh, it'll be all right." This is a well-known problem in health messaging that, in general terms, men will prevent uh, present very late with medical problems and mm -hmm. sometimes particularly with cancer time matters you know you've got to be early to catch some of these cancers and to deal with them effectively so anything you do that makes messaging more difficult directed at men can have disastrous 
consequences. You you see this with HIV as well. You know, men men who who are HIV positive in general terms compared to women will present with lower CD4 counts, generally speaking. Um, because mm. they leave it leave it longer. Yeah. Now there are exceptions to that. There are certain subgroups that are very good at getting tested, but generally speaking, that that's the case. The other point is this, right? This is again elitist bourgeois obsession, isn't it? Where is the concern for learning disabled men who have difficulty with public messaging? Where is the concern for men with English as a second language who don't subscribe? or cannot comprehend this arcane bourgeois code about doctors making errors and the rest of it. Mm. Where is the concern for any other protected characteristic? And when we combine those two concerns and say a lot of vulnerable people could be adversely affected by this, which is to something of a euphemism, isn't it? And then say it is happening in a sex class where there are problems about this. It's so reckless. It's pathetic, in my view, to be so obsessed with this issue as they are. Um, and you do sometimes ask yourself, you know, what will they put on the altar to sacrifice next to the gender gods? Because if they're not going to take cancer messaging seriously, what, what is more serious than a cancer diagnosis? I can't think of anything more serious. It's it's just extraordinary. Now, you combine that with the other examples that you gave, where the word woman is now being expunged from public literature, which I think is something which is a slightly different problem. And you, you, you just... You just think this is this is dangerous because the, precisely the same concerns I've just outlined in terms of the two examples of learning disability and English as a second language, those of course apply across sexes. And all these people are doing is making what could be vital medical information less comprehensible. And that is the opposite of what they are supposed to do. And they're doing it in service of an ideology, which I just think is disgraceful, Clive. Yes, I couldn't agree with you more, Dennis, because this is about health messaging. And it's very important that health messaging is absolutely 100% clear and unambiguous. And frankly, if you're suggesting that doctors can make a huge error, like mistakenly assigning someone's mm. sex, and then you're asking for them to be trusted when it comes to looking at your prostate... It's kind of a mixed yeah, message, isn't it? It really is. It really is. And <laughs> you know, they don't. Th they don't think these things through. They also, I think, on a more philosophical level, when I hear things like assigned male at birth, what it says to me is that the person who is saying it knows that they are lying. Right? No one really believes sex is assigned at birth. Right? So they know they're lying. I know they're lying. They know I know they're lying, right? <laughs> they are lying normally because for a greater good that they've identified or whatever. But what the result of that, yeah, is actually quite dark, I think. I think embedding um, falsehoods into discourse generally and embedding falsehoods, partic uh, falsehoods particularly into medical discourse is a recipe for absolute disaster. You know, what will it take? for this to stop. Uh, do you need a spike in fatal prostate cancer um, cases? Is that what it's going to take? Is it going to take some men needlessly dying? Uh, we ask this so often, you know, what's it going to take? Is it going to, does a woman have to get raped in a prison where, you know, we're thinking about the Isla Bryson case, how many teenagers, uh, depressed teenagers with comorbidities have to have healthy breasts cut off? What will it take before you lot say, actually, this mad religion is really very dangerous? Because that's what it is, I think. It comes back to children, I think. I think that uh, when children are told the lie that they can change into a girl or a boy, then you end up mm. with a huge amount of ignorance about yeah. how their own bodies actually work. I wonder mm. how many trans-identified males who've undergone reassignment surgery are fully 100% aware that they still have a prostate. I wonder yeah. how well that's spelled out for them. Dread to think. I mean, I, I I remember a chilling video which I think I've mentioned to you before. It's at the at Tavistock, and there's a there's a boy who wants to become a girl, and he's talking to Polly Carmichael, and in the course of the conversation, he expresses hope um, that in due course, as you know, as he gets older, he'll become pregnant and become a mother. 
And she sort of just smiles at him and then the conversation moves to another area. She doesn't at any point correct him. She doesn't at any point say, no, that's impossible. She doesn't, you know, disabuse what is obviously a vulnerable child with a childlike understanding of what is going on, of a categorical medical misunderstanding. And I don't know how these people sleep at night, Clive. I really don't. There, there are other tales of, of trans-identified females asking questions about whether their breasts will ever grow back. Yeah. It's yeah. a complete abdication of responsibility for children's health, if you ask me, to push what are basically mm. falsehoods onto them. Yes, yes. And you end up then with a long line of ignorance which leads to adult trans-identified males not being aware that they still have male parts, thinking yeah. that they have totally transitioned. And then you get social media influencers coming out with nonsense about trans uh, women's periods and how they're now in sync with their girlfriends. And For God's sake. Yeah. I know, I know. It's, it's, it's disgusting in one sense. But it's also disturbing in another, in that this is where lots of young people get their information from now, is social media. Mm -hmm. And there is such a, a glut of trans content on uh, Snapchat and TikTok that will lead them to think that they actually can become what they can never become. The evidence is coming in, though, Dennis. The evidence is coming yeah, in. Yeah, it is. And we had recently yeah. um, a, a reanalysis of data from the Gender Identity uh, Development Service's own study on puberty blockers. Uh, this was mm. led by Professor Susan McPherson from the University of Essex and David Friedman, a retired social scientist. They were looking at the effect specifically of puberty blockers on the mental health of the 44 children who were entered into the study by JIDS. Mm. So this was 44 children aged between 12 and 15. They found that 71% of those children, or in other words, 31 children, showed either no change or deterioration in their mental health. 13%, 13 children rather, the minority, showing some improvement. That 71% breaks down to 34% showing deterioration, 37% no change. So that's 15 children, uh, their mental health deteriorated, 16 children, there was no change from baseline, which meant that shocking. only 13 showed any improvement. Now, we don't know what the baseline was for these 44 children. Um, yeah. So no change might be actually a good thing. But in raw numbers, there were more children that showed that showed a deterioration than showed an improvement. This is just a crime against humanity. I, I'm not going to mince my words about this. You know, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Puberty is a human right. Right? As we know, puberty, in the vast majority of cases, will deal with what we call gender dysphoria, this manufactured thing that we've inflicted on children um let us consider what this might look like imagine that you are being subject as a kid to these experimental drugs very good chance you're probably gay you may well be autistic i either you know you you might be autistic and heterosexual you, you might be autistic uh, more likely that you're autistic and gay um you go you go to school everyone else is going through puberty you're not well surprise surprise Absolutely, you know, it is no surprise to me at all that these figures bear out the suggestion that that might be a bloody depressing thing for a child to go through. Um, it is a shocking study, and the idea that we are we have experimented on children in this fashion is a damning indictment of this ideology, and also the safeguards which we've lamented before ought to have been. In place, and I think this sort of thing really raises rather serious questions, doesn't it, about the proposal um, via the interim service specifications from CAS about trying to construct an ethical medical 
experiment that's what it is really isn't it and a, a, a clinical i know it's called a clinical trial but it is basically an experiment and and this this data suggests that it's an experiment that's going to harm kids this you know clive i just well which is mad. why i which is why i think it's it's unlikely that they'll be able to develop a study that uh, is ethical the ideal study would be a controlled trial but you can't do that a randomized controlled trial where some of the um, participants get puberty blockers, some of them don't, and neither group knows which group they're in. Yeah. Uh, and neither do the re re researchers. So a randomized, double-blind, controlled trial. That wouldn't really be possible in this instance if we've already concluded that puberty blockers cause real harm to children. You can't expose people to real and lasting harm in an ethical study. So yeah. I don't see how they're going to be able to prescribe puberty blockers as part of a trial. Maybe they're cleverer than I am and they can come up with an ethical variety of non-experimental research that might be able to look into this. That hasn't stopped some institutions from going completely balls to the wall about this. I'm thinking specifically now about uh, Victoria, the state of Victoria in Australia, which uh, mm. has uh, enacted a new law, Australia being a federation, so states have control over certain aspects of the law. They've issued a yep. new law which forces mothers and fathers to accept their children's desire to change gender and which, according to a Daily Mail article, has left distraught parents fearing prosecution if they do anything to try to prevent potentially harmful and irreversible treatment. This sounds very much like a conversion therapy ban. And it's left mm. parents very confused, distressed. Their definition of gender suppression could include mm. wait and see approaches and not just, you know, overt opposition. You know, you're not transgender, you're not going through this. Not just that, but just saying, let's wait and see what happens. That could be against this law. And parents describe how they're scared even to seek each other out to talk about this. This is because this they're is just paranoid. Dystopian. This is a dystopian piece of legislation. This is, I mean, we've got everything in gender here, haven't we? We've got children at risk. We've got the intercession of the state um, now assuming a loco parentis role. We've got the threat of a criminal prosecution. This is, I. What the hell is going on here? So if you try and parent your child, if you're concerned for them, God, it must be worrying being a parent in that state. You'd be scared of your kid coming back with rainbows and stuff, wouldn't you? God, that must be frightening. Um, I, what can one say about this? This is a nightmarish law. My only hope, Clive, given it's a criminal statute, is that Australian juries don't put up with this. Um, I... I mean, I wonder, I mean, if you introduce that sort of law here, I think I think British judges would, would have something to say about its interaction. We have a slightly different framework, of course. I, I don't know how a law such as that could work in this country, how it would interact with Article 8, right to a private and family life. I think it could well run into problems on that. Australia has no such legislation rights are a bit more nebulous. They're sort of, sort of in the Constitution. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's nightmarish, isn't it? What you've described as a nightmare. It is. It is a nightmare. Fortunately, here in the UK, it seems that the conversion therapy ban, which I suspect wouldn't have looked very different from that should the activists have managed to get hold of it. Mm. We are, we're seeing that kind of being kicked into the long grass. I can't see that being passed this parliament anyway. Yeah. Because it is a complex issue as this story demonstrates you're leaving parents worried to even talk to each other about this because they're so paranoid that the authorities are going to come after them for some offense against their com the conversion therapy ban the state is trying to reassure people that yes you can still seek mental health and support for your child etc etc but if you haven't got the practitioners who are willing to offer that because they might end up being accused of conversion therapy for not going full-on gender affirmation, where are these parents supposed to go? Who are they supposed to seek this mental health and support from? 
it's a nightmare yeah. in the making. I, I think you mentioned before we started recording that California was going to go down the route as well of depriving parents of their uh, rights of access and custody if they refused to affirm their child's gender identity. That's right. The, the Canadian um, legislature passed uh, an act such as you've described, and it would have compelled... California. Sorry, California, yeah. California. Um, it would have compelled um, family court judges to take into account whether a parent affirmed um, I, I, when they came to decide what the Americans call visitation and custody, what we call contact and residence. Um, interestingly, the governor of California this morning has vetoed that bill. Now, um, I'm I'm not au fait with goings on in Canada. Uh, sorry, California. I'd love to hear what Chris from Gays Against Groomers take on on that what is and i know i know we're planning an uh, an american special with him where we'll do a survey and look at this but that's interesting isn't it because it's it's sort of tied to the trudeau story and the british attitudes survey because it, it's a glimmer or maybe it's more than a glimmer it's a, it's a good sign of someone waking up this governor has can only have judged that this piece of legislation would be disastrous so that's at least a good news story, I suppose. It is. And I think it puts into context the the million march that this is not about homophobia, transphobia, biphobia. This is about children being cons this is about sorry, this is about parents being concerned about their children. And once you start messing with kids, you are going to end up with parents objecting. Like you yeah. say, these these naive utopians believe that everyone is going to fall into line with this because this is what being kind is about. Well, people yeah. aren't falling for that anymore. People are genuinely yeah. concerned. And you can go away calling them hateful and anti-LGBTQ and homophobes and transphobes and biphobes as much as you like. They care more about their children than they do about some putative LGBTQI 2S plus Canadian who might be harmed by them expressing that concern on the streets because the government doesn't seem to be listening. Parents will not stand for their children being indoctrinated in this way. Yeah, I can, I can only hope that in Victoria there's a massive um, civil disobedience counter to this draconian legislation because yeah. it sounds to me absolutely horrendous. It's the kind of thing you'd see in North Korea, not in a supposedly mature democracy like Australia. Yeah. Couldn't agree more, mate. Couldn't agree more. Now, I wish we had some good news uh, so, or some <laughs> light news to bring to you, but uh, unfortunately, Mr. Titsilla, Titsilla is now dead. <laughs> Yeah, the, we described this, didn't we? It, 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 there's a grave and it's got two mounds as you approach it. <laughs> <laughs> Tinsilla is now dead. He's now rediscovered that he's a man called Kerry. Um, and there's really not been anything uh, that to bring us any joy in the news. Well, apart from actually, the good, the, good yeah, news about uh, puberty blockers and what have you. But there's nothing light yeah. and airy to talk I, about, I've, unfortunately. I've got I've got one nice news story, which is, do you remember the non-binary oh, okay. knicker The yes. Sam Brinton, the uh -huh. guy with the funny head. Uh, the police raided his house and oh, they've discovered all of the, you know, that poor fashion designer. Um, I, think mm -hmm. she, I think she was African. She, uh, they, they found yeah. all her dresses, of course, which it seems, seems that Mr. Brinton stole. Um and they've returned them to her. So that's a good news Marvellous. story. Marvellous. That is a good news back. story. So yeah. the Mekon <laughs> didn't manage to hold her dresses captive <laughs> any longer. No. She was a Tanzanian designer, as that's I recall. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. And she noticed him wearing one of her tops to some event. Unbelievable. Yeah. I know. So now, that, now <laughs> she's got them all back. Oh, for God's sake. This man should be in jail. You're quite. Yes. <laughs> quite. I, 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 oh. Anyway, he's, <laughs> he's no longer the main character, is he? He's uh, disappeared right. from view, him and his shiny, enormous head. 
So we're quite glad yeah. to see the back of Sam Brinton back to being yeah. whatever it was you were before, some kind of poser in terrible makeup and uh, stolen women's clothes. Yeah. <laughs> God. <laughs> It's been a weird, weird few years, hasn't it? It really has. When you actually say mm-hmm. this stuff out loud, you think, bloody hell, that did actually happen. <laughs> well, I think next year is going to be a bit of a roller coaster um, mm. because we've got not only the uh, presidential election in the USA, yeah. we've also got a general election looming as well. Yeah. So it's going to be a bit of a roller coaster few years, I think, and particularly for the gender mob, who are mm. so used to having having their increasingly deranged demands pandered to yeah. that they're not going to know what's hit them. They didn't know what hit them with the Million March in Canada. I can see marches mm. like that taking place in this country too. We shall find out. Hmm. Mm. Mm. All right. <laughs> Sorry, that's the only comment I have on that. Mm. <laughs> it's mm. not mm. not top content, but it, is, it does tell how I feel. Oh. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Okay then, Dennis. <laughs> yep. Dead air. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right, everyone. I think we've done more than enough. We're coming up to over an hour now. So, um, yes, thank you, Mr. Dennis, for uh, joining me here today. And thank you to Bertie and Gus for their click clacking and woofing uh, background noises. Very entertaining. When they weren't when they weren't here last week, people noticed their absence. So, oh really? Yeah. Okay. Yes, they did. They did. They didn't notice their manicure tapping against the against the uh, the floor. So, thanks to all my subscribers, uh, viewers on YouTube, people who've sent me money. You can still send me money via buy me a coffee and uh, or PayPal me a donation. The Substack is now up and running. This episode will appear in the audio version on that Substack earlier than the YouTube version. And also it's now available thanks to Spotify for podcasters on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts and a couple of other podcast providers. So look out for us there as well. There will be content coming for paid subscribers only shortly so um, those of you who are paid subscribers to Substack first of all thank you very much for that Um, and I will be endeavouring to provide some exclusive paid for content on the Substack and uh, keep an ear out for that stuff Okay, so we are done for the day, Mr. Dennis. Have a lovely weekend, whatever it is you're doing, and I will see you next week. See you then. Been a pleasure. Take care and bye. Bye. God save the Queen, my son.